Welcome to the fourth episode of the Global Health Impact Fund. I'm your host, Martin Ailes. You know, we're all excited that you're joining us on this journey uh, where we cover everything investor to health-related topics. Last episode, we covered how to understand the cap table. If you haven't listened to it yet, we highly recommend you do. And, you know, if you did listen to it, you know, we'd appreciate if you just could give us a follow and share these with people who might be of interest in listening. Um, so in today's episode, we'll actually talk about how to do due diligence. Again, I have my amazing co-host, Oren, who's the co-founder and CEO for the Global Health Impact Fund. Um, Oren, it's great to have you back. Hey, Martin. It's great to be back. Perfect. So let's jump in if you're ready to go. Let's do do this. <laughs> so, Oren, first of all, what is due diligence? Tell us. Well, due diligence, it's, it's a general phrase, right? And it has to do with... Um, you can apply it to many things and obviously we'll apply it to venture capital for the purposes of this uh, and investing for the purposes of this conversation. But it's basically go and make sure that what you think you know, you know, be smart. You need to peel the onion. You need to look under, you know, you need to whatever, lift up the skirt, whatever metaphor you want. You, you can't just trust what people are telling you. You have to go to the source documents and be smart. We apply it in this in in the investment world um because you know when we make an investment so my fund our average check size was about a million dollars we're taking a million dollars of money that has been entrusted to us by our limited partners and we're going to invest it in a company and it's our fiduciary obligation and also quite frankly right an ethical obligation to make sure we're not investing in something that um isn't exactly what we think it is. You know, warts and all is fine. Like, you know, that's okay. But you don't want to invest in a company and find out that everything you thought to be true is not true. So due diligence is the process of verifying and checking and, um, you know, and really gaining an understanding of what a company uh, is made up of. And so that's going to consist of everything from looking at their cap table, which we talked about on our last episode, to going through financials and evaluating the intellectual property and things like that. Okay. So, you know, I, I think you've just answered this, um, but I'll ask you this anyway. Why does due diligence matter to a VC fund? Oh, well, so I'll expand on that, you know, the former answer, which is that, you know, first, obviously we have a fiduciary obligation, but even more than that, you know, our goal is to do good things. You know, I'll speak specifically for our fund. We invest in healthcare you know, early stage healthcare companies. And we have a dual mission. I mean, the, one of the missions, and it's important, is that we're trying to, you know, create a really terrific return on investment. That's always there. Our LPs know that. And, you know, that has to be there if not, if only just so that we can then take the money we earn and reinvest it, right? Um, but the other mission, the parallel mission, is we want to do things in medicine that make a difference. And it doesn't do any good to invest your money in a company that is going to fall apart, right? So doing due diligence, you know, it's like getting reference checks on somebody who you're about to hire. It's just what you need to do. You, you know, you want to do the most you can do to ensure that the investment is sound when you make it. Okay. it it's backwards looking. 
for the most part, in my opinion. I mean, you look at projections and things like that, of course, but you're really looking a lot at, you know, what's in the bank and, you know, what have the board's minutes look like and thing, what does the intellectual property look like? How well is it protected? Okay. So normally what do investors look for in the due diligence process? Like what are the steps? Well, so the, the way, you know, I think everybody's process is different, but they all probably dovetail into the same result. So I can't speak for the the universal process, but I can speak to the way I, I approach it. What I like to do is, you know, you'll meet people or you'll get referred to people and we see lots and lots of deals, which is great. And my preferred process is to review a, a company's slide deck. You know, it's sort of the new business plan and read through it and decide a number of things right off the bat. Number one, does this company fit into my investment thesis with respect to what they're doing and the stage of their company and, you know, where they are located geographically and what's their valuation? You know, all of those basic things, because there are a number of companies I see that right off the bat, I could say this might be the greatest company in the world, but this fund shouldn't invest in that. You know, it's not right, aligned with the thesis. Um so I like to read the deck. And then also a lot of times I read the deck and I think this is not a company I would want to invest in, even if it did have those alignments. Um, either I'm not passionate about what they're doing, and that's, I think, important, or I, I, maybe I don't even think what they're doing makes sense, right? I, sometimes, you know, you, you can be critical of these things. Um, so, you know, there are a number of reasons why you might take an initial pass on a company. And, and again, I always try to be respectful of the time of the entrepreneur, as well as my own time and my team's time. So I don't want to waste somebody's time if I don't have an interest for any one of those reasons. Yeah. Um, so that's the first step. The second step, once I've done that, is you want to take a meeting. These days, they're mostly virtual, but, you know, whether they're in person or virtual is you know, it's fine with me, but you want to meet people, right? Because yeah. ultimately you're investing in people and uh, you want to start to develop a relationship with them that goes beyond, you know, just emails back and forth. After that, you know, we try and do, the, if we're still interested, you know, and uh, it seems like a lot of things are aligning, then we're going to ask them to spend more time with us. And, you know, so it's their time commitment and it's our time commitment. Um, and so it's onerous because sometimes it still doesn't end in an investment. So it can be frustrating, you know, for the entrepreneurs. But I think we all recognize it's part of the job. And so we'll do a deep dive. And so that's when we'll start to look at things like their capitalization table and their, you know, their financials um, and uh, their, you know, their financial plan on a go forward basis with their use of funds you know, all of these things, you know, who's on their team. Um, you know, one thing that we like to do if we can is talk to customers of theirs or, you know, some of the key opinion leaders working with them. There's just a number of ways you can approach these things, um, you know, to get the information that you need. Now, stepping back a little bit, what I like to do organizationally is break due diligence into three, three main components. Um, with a fourth component being the documents like the cap table yeah. review and the intellectual property review and things like that. The first component is really broadly, I broadly define it as clinical. I wanna see um, if the company has a clinical solution. I wanna uh, look at the, you know, the peer reviewed science that supports what they're doing. Uh, we wanna uh, look at the way their 
product or device or whatever it is integrates with the clinical workflow, um, whether there's a payer code for it, you know, what the doctors think, what the patient experience looks like, what's the, what's the need for this, um, this thing that they're doing. And really for me, I, I envision this part of the due diligence as a pyramid with clinical being the base. And if it doesn't pass the clinical tests for me, then I don't really need to do the rest because okay. that's that's where my passion is. Once they do clear that hurdle, um, then we evaluate the business. So we start to think about how large is this market? What does implementation look like? What's the cost of providing this service or device or drug? What can you know? What can we legitimately charge for it? So what you know? What are the margins? Um, how do you market it? Who are the stakeholders? Who are the decision makers? You know, all of the business aspects. Yeah. And then once we've, once we have understood that and we understand their strategy, then we start to ask ourselves questions about the financial risk. And, you know, we're going to join around, but it's very unusual for venture capitalists, at least in our space, uh, to take entire rounds at the early stage, because that, you know, concentrates a lot of risk in your, in your portfolio. So usually you take part of the round. So I just talked to a company today that is raising money uh, to do IND enabling studies, which means they are going to do studies on a, on a drug, on a molecule that will allow them to file for their investigative new drug uh, allowance for the FDA so they can proceed into phase one, two, and three trials. And we were talking about the funds they need to get there and, you know, part of thinking about that is, well, if we're not going to take that entire round, do I feel confident that they'll be able to get other investors in that round at that yeah. valuation? Um, beyond that, uh, will they be able to, once they get through that round, will they be able to raise their next round? Because that company won't be in revenue for a long time. So unless they get acquired very early, they're going to have to go back to the capital markets. And so will they have the momentum to get that round raised? And then it's an interesting, you know, math problem because you have to think about valuations. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a tension between um, startup founders and venture capitalists or any investors, but typically it's the venture capitalists that have that negotiating influence where, of course, the startup founder wants the valuation to be super high and the venture capitalist wants it to be super low. And the answer is probably somewhere in, in between. But there's another element to that, which is called the next round risk. So if a startup uh, founder, you know, really argues, you know, well and strongly for a high valuation, but you know they need more capital, you have to look at what the you know, they get through their milestone with the funds that they raise. They have a valuation inflection point, which is the whole point of taking that that much money at that time. And they go back to the markets at an increased valuation to raise more money. <clears throat> and the question you have to ask is, what's a realistic next, you know, next valuation? And is that, have you just priced your company out of the market because that next valuation will have to be so high that nobody's going to want to invest in that level. Yeah. And, so you always have to be careful. You do. And I've seen that a lot. And um, it's kind of a deal killer for people. You know, people just say, I'm not interested. And, you know, that, that's not that's not real. Yeah. And so, 
you know, you want to basically marry the risk with the reward and, um, you know, have a fair valuation. I'm not in the interest. I'm not interested in, you know, taking advantage of a, of a excuse me, of an entrepreneur. But I think you have to recognize that on the low side, with a, an investment of X dollars, the entrepreneurs, the founders are going to have to be selling a larger portion of their company and that reduces yeah. their incentives. So that's not good. Uh, it, this is just from an investor perspective, right? I want them to be in, have the incentives to do well. Absolutely. At the same time, if it's too high and the incentives are really good, they're also you know, challenging the market to invest at a very high valuation this next time. And that may not be so good either. So it's really, I mean, it's kind of fun, right? That's where you get into how the sausage is made, but it is kind of an interesting you know, mental exercise. So those are the things that I do. And then aside from the clinical business and financial risk, then of course there's that whole document review of looking at what their patents look like and make sure they have freedom to operate and you know, ask yourselves uh, you know, how well those patents were, will hold up and how well they'll provide uh, protection from competitors. And also, of course, when do they go through because patents expire? And, you know, sometimes in healthcare, when you're developing a drug, for instance, it can take a long time. It can take a decade. It can take longer than that. Yeah. So your patent might actually expire at some point. And, you, you know, that's just part of the part of the math. Um, you look at the cap table and we talked about, you know, the pitfalls that you can find at the cap table. Um, so you want to make sure there's nothing crazy there. And um yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's ultimately, I think that once people knew which doors to open and due diligence, yeah, it's not it's not complicated. You just have to make sure you know you've kicked the tires well. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we could have a whole other topic on valuations. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it always interesting yeah. speaking to founders and why they came up with that valuation in response as well my friend just raised that this value we're doing something similar <laughs> yeah we should definitely we should definitely talk about well and it's also market dependent i was just on a panel a couple of weeks ago and you know in the sector that this other vc was talking about the tech sector he was saying that you know companies are just they're filling their rounds in a day or two because they, you know, because there's a lot of money, there's a lot of froth in the market, as it's as it's said, and so you have to move quickly. You can't do due dil you can't do your due diligence in in two months, because companies have other takers, and you just get you know. Yeah, I was actually reading somewhere like you know maybe five, six years ago, it would take up to six months. And now it takes VCs to, like up to 20 days to do due diligence. Like, right. just because they're going to move that fast. So let me ask well, you this. And, and just, to, just on that point, yeah. you know, in terms of the time it takes to complete due diligence, this is, a, again, there's tension here because, you know, if you ask a company how much, so runway is defined as, as the burn rate, which is your yeah. monthly cost times time. So we say, how much runway do you have? Uh, we ask a company and they'll say, well, we need $150,000 a month and we have 1.5 million in the bank. So we have 10 months of runway, yeah. right? Pretty simple math. Obviously things come up. It's, you know, it's all back of the envelope math at this stage, um, but reasonably accurate. So if that's what they have in the bank, that means in 10 months, they'll have no money in the bank zero right they can't pay salaries they can't keep their lights on they can't continue their studies they can't pay their vendors whatever so that's a problem 
remember that most of these companies are pre-revenue because they're going through the FDA. So at what point do they start doing uh, or what's at what point do they start raising money for the next round? Well, they want to get through a milestone because that's where your value changes, right? You don't want to keep raising at the same value or worse. You don't want to have a down round that really upsets your previous investors. So uh, it's tricky. How much money do you keep in the bank? So if you take six months to complete your due diligence before you make an investment, and I only have 10 months in the bank, that's cutting it kind of close. So I would say six months is a really long time anyway, but um, but but you're right. Today, twenty days, you know, two weeks. That's what people are really looking for. And if you can do it, that's great. But but it's hard to get that much work done that quickly. It's a lot of work. So let me ask you this: Who not only does the due diligence at a VC fund offer? Yeah, so I think that it can, it's going to depend on the type of firm. You know, there's some large firms that have huge staffs of people. So they have analysts and, you know, associates um, all the way up to the, you know, to the, you know, the main partners of the firm might yeah. be involved in some level in the due diligence. You know, certainly when it comes to calling, you know, vendors and partners and other investors, that might be something that happens at a higher level if it's, you know, CEO to CEO. But uh, in a lot of other VC firms, there we like ours. We run a tight ship. That we don't hire. I don't have a staff of twenty. So it's me and my colleagues. We do the due diligence, and that's a you know that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's bad because it's all concentrated on just a couple of people. But the truth is, due diligence is also a way to learn about your company. And we are going to be the best partners to the companies that we know the most about. So the frustration, I guess, would be when you do the work for a company you don't invest in because it feels like, well, I learned a little something that was cool, but I spent way too much time on that. But when you do make that investment and you've already developed that relationship, uh, it's really valuable and you get a chance to know people. And since so much of the work we do is relationship business, you know, I think we made I made the joke in one of our first episodes that the order we invest in is team, 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 and then idea, yeah. right? And so that's sort of like the you know the the venture credo, and and you know it's a little silly, but at the same time, you know, it's grounded in the reality that the team is really critical. So if you are doing this work with a group and they don't want to give you data and the data is really sloppy and they don't correct it. You know, I mean, you learn something about them, yeah. even though it's not necessarily the company. Right. And so that knowledge, I think, is really helpful. And in the best cases, you know, there's been this exchange of conversation and, and documents over the course of a few weeks and um, and it goes well and everybody's really nice. And then you're just really excited when you close that investment on both sides. So that that's a really great outcome. Yeah, it is. Um, so LPs won't get involved in due diligence, right? It'll just be the main partners. So in our, in, again, our fund does things, uh, I think, a little bit differently than most funds. What we've done is we've built a network of physician experts and, and healthcare stakeholders. And many of them are LPs or advisors in our fund. And then some of them are people who are in our network but haven't been with the funder or, um, 
you know, as an advisor and LP uh, as of yet, but hopefully, hopefully one day. And part of our clinical due diligence goes to these individuals to get their feedback. So when we have a company that is in the vascular space, we want to talk to, you know, people who do vascular surgery or cardiac surgery. Um, You know, when we have an orthopedic device, we want to talk to the orthopedic surgeons. We want to talk to the neurosurgeons for, you know, robotic brain surgery tools, you know, whatever it is, we can go to the experts because that's going to give us insight into the clinical integrations and the patient experiences and things like that. So I I don't want to limit the knowledge base to just me and my general partners. I, I think that we, we're a good starting point and we're a good ending point, but we loop those people in and we loop them in not individually, but we loop them in as a community to really get terrific insights. And that, that gives us a, a due diligence edge, I think, over most uh, other healthcare investors. Okay. So let me guess, what are some of the red flags, like, especially for us, like the fund, um, when doing due diligence? Like what stands out? Well, their finances and cap table, you know, are pretty important. Um, so, you know, you have to really take a, a good look at those things. We, I think that projections are funny. You always need to see projections. And for me, that's important because you want to see the assumptions that a company makes. Um, nobody expects a company to hit the projections perfectly because they're really back of the envelope projections based on sometimes very optimistic assumptions but but i think it's important to see a credible path to a certain you know to a certain outcome because part of our investment thesis has to look for companies that can generate potentially a certain return and if they can't even on paper with you know the most optimistic assumptions present that then they're probably not a good venture investment in our space um, be, because you know the risks are so high, so so I, I like to look through those and get a sense that they can achieve what I need them to achieve to justify the investment. Um, that doesn't mean they're good or bad companies, by the way, but it just means in terms of fitting in with our thesis. Um, you know, for us clinically, the problem statement, the solution for the problem, has to make sense, and it has to be important. I think that that's really critical. And, you know, we want it to be a solid play. We want to look at the science. One thing I like to tell uh, people who look at venture and wonder about investing in these early stage companies uh, is that I don't like to think of companies as necessarily good or bad. I, I like to think of them on their journey and more consider them earlier or later. Now, some are going in the wrong direction, in my opinion, but I wouldn't have invested in Twitter. So I don't know any, everything. You know what I mean? Like I remember when Twitter came out, I was like, that seems crazy. That was obviously very wrong. But um, so, so it's not a matter of knowing right and wrong as much as it is knowing where they are on their journey. And, you know, from the proverbial two people in a garage to ringing the bell on NASDAQ. And, you know, knowing where they are is really critical because that also lets you know how you'll be able to help them and what they need because people need things when they need them, but you can't give them something they don't need when they, when they don't need it. Right. They don't want to hear it. It's it's distracting. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's also important though, like, especially as an investor, like you should always be on the lookout for reverse due diligence on you and the fund. 
like as an entrepreneur, like they should be also looking for red flags towards the fund. Like how important is this for startups? Like, especially because we discussed, you know, sometimes it takes 20 days. Like can a startup really do a due diligence in 20 days on several VC funds that they're on in talk show and run the day-to-day business? Right. Well, you know, first, the due diligence on a VC is different. So yeah. there's no reason that a startup has to wait until they have a 20-day deadline to do that. Right. Yeah. They can be they can be doing due diligence on VCs for round series B as soon as they close their series A, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a relationship game the other way. And you know, you want to get warm introductions if you can, and you want to develop a rapport if you can before you start asking for money, yeah. right? Uh, so, so I would argue that you should never have that kind of fire under you with with doing that. But there are things I think that you should look at. You know, some of them are, you know, do you know people who've been you know who these these VCs have invested with who've had problems you know some yeah. VCs can be very heavy-handed and that's not great uh, some can be very light touch and you want the strategic benefit that the VCs can bring and so that may not be great um, sometimes VCs will argue very aggressive terms when they're the leading around and that may be to your benefit but that also may be a problem uh, you know, you know, so it might be great to have the best VC in the world leading your round, and that could be a r- great sign, you know, to the investor community. On the other hand, they may ask for things you don't want to give, and yeah. you may feel frustrated by that. Um, you know, obviously, you have to read the term sheets that that they provide you with, you know, and make sure that you're comfortable with those contracts. I think it's honestly, it's the same. Ultimately, it's the same thought process, which is that not all money is good money. You know, so, you know, if if a bunch of, you know, oligarchs from from a despotic nation show up at your doorstep with a bag of money, probably don't take it. (laughs) Probably. 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 See where it's come from first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least. It'd be nice if it's sort of jump off a bag of money for me. Right. If it has if it has like a dollar sign on the side of the of a burlap bag, probably don't take that money. <laughs> so let's talk about the key takeaways. Like getting through the due diligence process is obviously an important step to raising money, uh, but it's also a critical part, like you said, in the development of relationships uh, for both sides. Like, you know, during the process, you've got to build that trust and then you've got to establish the groundwork for that ongoing partnership. Is there anything you'd want to add? You know, I will add something. I was, as you were saying that, I just thought about it. It came from a conversation I had last night uh, with another investor, which is that at the end of the day, what due diligence is, it's a different form of storytelling. And I think that storytelling, you know, it almost seems unfair because you know, we want to invest in really smart people that can execute businesses, right? We don't want to invest in performers. But the reality is, is that part of being successful is the performance, in my opinion, meaning that you have to tell a story. You know, you want to make me as passionate about what you're doing as you are. And if you can do that, if you can bring your audience along with you, 
it's a more satisfying experience for everyone and there will be greater um, in literal investment or, or and you know and emotional and metaphorical investment in what you're doing. So I think it's, you know, what story are you telling with your papers? And does the story line up with the story you're telling people when you do your elevator pitch or when you pitch at an event? And it obviously it should. Um, but I think ultimately it's storytelling. And there's there's like a whole different conversation to be had about how you tell those stories and how you get people to remember you. And that's probably a life lesson too. I don't know that I'm so terrific at that, but... But I think that's what it has to be. You have to tell a story with your due diligence. Awesome. I completely agree. So let's do a few questions um, before we leave. Um, we have a question here from James from Cedar Rapids. Do VC firms share due diligence? That's a great question. I was thinking to mention that, but, but I forgot. Um, yeah, they do. I mean, uh, lots of times... You know, because we lead rounds, for instance, and we're doctors, a lot of companies, a lot of other VCs have asked us to share our due diligence with them and talk to them about uh, what we see as being the value proposition as doctor investors. And that's been really valuable for our companies. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason, honestly, in my opinion, for us all to do the same work. It's not cost effective. Uh, we're all going to look at the same thing. So, you know, whenever we can share, we do. Okay. And then Liam from Huntsville asks, should you cover IP during the due diligence process? Absolutely. Think about it like this, Liam. That's a great question. What if your company doesn't have intellectual property? Or more importantly, there's a really big company that has intellectual property that your company thinks they have, uh, but there's such an overlap and it's never been challenged in court. And your company makes some, some progress and is doing well. And then the big company comes along and says, wait, wait, wait a second. That's exactly what we're doing. And we're going to sue you, right? Yeah. It'll kill your company. So you really want to know those things in advance uh, before you get into, you know, an investment situation. Okay. And then the last one is from Isaac King Wilmington. Uh, when, do, do, when doing due diligence and you ask for a customer reference, how many references should you cross-check? I think that the answer to that is as many as you need to, but it doesn't make sense to me to call 10 people when I'm hearing the same thing from all of them. Um, you know, you want to call key players. Uh, ideally, if they're trusted sources, that's better. Um, you know, but you have to also recognize they're going to cherry pick the references. So, you know, the whole thing is a little bit of a fix, you know, but but it's good if you can call, you know, two, three, four people and just get some feedback. And I think it's important for us, um, startups as well is, you know, to call portfolio clients to see how the investor um, works with them, especially strategically. I think so too, but again, it will be cherry picked. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's always, always with a grain of salt. Cherry picked you know? sides. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, that portfolio company hates me. Here's their number. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's going to be it for today's episode. Um, so, our next episode is going to be on how to support a company post investment. 
again, if you've got any questions, um, you can email me at martin, M-A-R-T-Y-N, at globalhealthimpactnetwork.net or follow me on Twitter at martin underscore eels, double E-L-E-S. Again, we really appreciate everyone listening. Um, until next time, stay safe. Alan, thank you so much. I look forward to the next episode. Martin, this was fun as usual. Thank you. Always. <laughs> Bye.